Blog Talk Radio.
them know they missing yeah. out. Yeah. We got the beautiful women. Check out the way we be living. Not too cool and We always eating the best. What is that? Why did you settle for less? TV, where's the Korea? They never show on your screen. Why you feel me? I want to so you can see what I mean. Africa, Marida, here. Africa's beautiful, baby. Come see how we love to party if we party. We welcome you to Africa on the Move. As a special program, we are honored and delighted to be able to be a host for this year's 65th anniversary of African Liberation Day and the 75th year anniversary of Palestine and Nakbak Day. This program has been organized by the All African Peoples Revolutionary Party, GC. The topic today is on Pan-Africanism and the national question in the diaspora. We are celebrating this beautiful institution, African Liberation Day, because it's an important institution that would be one of the tools that we will use as a means to help liberate Africa and African people. And we invite you as an African and a just loving person to join in and help celebrate with us all throughout this month. Later on in the program, we will share with you some additional activities that will be ongoing and coming up under the banner of the AAPRPGC, but like always on Africa on the Move, we're happy to bring you information that will help liberate you. So on that note, we will bring in our MC for today's program, who is an organizer for the All African Peoples, Revolutionary Party GC. We have Brother Bamboshi Shango. We will turn the mic over to him. Happy African Liberation Day, Palestine Day, Brother Bamboshi. Thank you, brother. And thanks to your audience. Today, we have for you a very interesting and hopefully complete program. We have invited guests from Colombia and Barbados who, as you know, or as you may not know, there is a problem of communications when it comes to trying to telephone from outside the United States into the United States. And we don't know if our guest has been caught up in that today, but we want to just start off by reminding you that Liberation Day has a glorious history started by Kwame Nkrumah at the OAU in 1958, the first conference of African independent and African struggling nations. 
African Liberation Day came to the United States in 1958 with Malcolm X and other folks in New York celebrating African Liberation Day. African Liberation Day that most, most of us remember is 1972, in which thousands of Africans from the United States gathered in Washington, D.C., to march on the South African, the Israeli, and the Portuguese embassy, protesting their colonies at this time. Since 1972, the AAPRP in 1976 felt was necessary to take African Liberation Day back to Africa because the forces that were in control of it wanted it to become a propaganda piece for a number of different ideologies that was not African. We say clearly that in 1976, African Liberation Day was hosted and organized by the All-African People's Revolutionary Party, and that since 1976, we have carried African Liberation Day on our back. We have held African Liberation Day in all corners of the United States and the world. And one of our challenges from 1976 was that to ensure that we make African Liberation Day an institution in every corner of the world. Today, today, 2023, African Liberation Day is an institution in every corner of the world and that we have helped to build this institution so well that everybody now is forced to attempt to host African Liberation Day, even the enemies of Africa. And I say that because we know that African Liberation Day is being organized also by AFRICOM, It's being organized also by USAID and these forces that have never wanted to see Africa united, never wanted to see Africa free. When we began building African Liberation Day in 1976, we felt that those movements, those organizations on the continent of Africa struggling against colonialism needed a source, a space, a day to have and to to illustrate and to give reports on what the struggle that they were waging in those countries were doing, where those struggles were at any given moment or any year, 
And because of that, African Liberation Day invited from across the world, especially from across Africa, people who were struggling in Angola, in Mozambique, in Guinea-Bissau, in Eritrea, in Spanish Sahara, and throughout the African world, those groups, those brothers and sisters who were waging political struggles, who were waging guerrilla struggles against colonialism and to get colonialism up its back were invited, were previewed, were seen, were heard at African Liberation Day since 1976 in this country, in the Caribbean, in Europe, and around the world. Thanks again to the AAPRP. Now, we're clear that today is African Liberation Day, but it's also an important, a very important day for our brothers and sisters of Palestine who have been struggling through a genocide committed by the Israeli government, the Zionist government of Israel, and with the help of the United States and international imperialism since 1948. They have waged the struggle. Today, African Liberation Day is organically linked to the struggle of our brothers and sisters in Palestine. We must also say that African Liberation Day takes this occasion to honor two very important revolutionaries who has and shares birthdays today, or not today, but on the 19th. Our brother Malcolm X told us clearly that we must look to Africa and to our comrade Ho Chi Minh of Vietnam, who also told us we should look to Africa. Ho Chi Minh lived in New York in the United States at the heights of the Garvey movement and was impressed and inspired by Marcus Garvey. And when Kwame Ture, Stokely Carmichael, was invited to Vietnam in 1966-67, it is Ho Chi Minh who said, when is the black people in America going to return home to Africa? So we begin to see the intersectionalities and we begin to connect the dots. Again, we must understand that there's communication problems outside of the U.S., especially in communities that are underdeveloped, 
communities like the African community of Colombia, like the African communities in Haiti, even like our brothers and sisters in Barbados, all of whom program and may still be here. And my belief is that they're probably having communication problems. I don't know if Brother Lee has something that he wants to say before we start talking about Africans in this hemisphere. Brother Lee. Brother Boji, I just think that when we talk about African Liberation Day as an institution, um, we must give um, great credit to the AAPIP and AAPIPGC, particularly to continue to help build and spread this institution. Now, when you think about Africa and its liberation, it becomes very important to understand that everybody has a part that they can play. And to those who listen to this program today, particularly those Africans, we come to ask you to make your contribution to help build this institution wherever you live. Because by building this institution, you're helping our people to move forward and helping Africa to become liberated, unified, and free. By building this institution, you also create a climate in which our people will develop a sense of pride of being not only an African, but being a very, very proud African because you will come to understand that the contributions that you have made to humanity, no one can take that away and you should be a part of it. If you made contributions in the past, you can make contributions today. So when I first encountered African Liberation Day back around 1982 and having the chance of having a dialogue with Africans from all over the world. I have always found this information, this institution, uh, very significant in terms of getting information about what's going on, not only just in Africa, but what's going on among African communities around the world. So it has always been a great institution where we can collectively share information on our struggles and understand how to connect, which will help us lay a foundation of how we can work together, how we can work better as a collective unit. So when I think about 65 years of the struggle, you know, I always ask myself each year, each year, what can I do to make sure, not only do we maintain this institution, but make it bigger and better. So I was just lacking like on behalf of the station Africa on the Moon, which comes on every Sunday evening from 7 p.m. Eastern Time, U.S., as a member of that institution. I just would like to thank um, the APRPGC and all those who have made a conscious effort to maintain and uphold this institution and don't compromise its principles and values. Um, for those who listen, Brother Balboshi, in terms of this, the theme is pan-Africanism and the national question, before you go into that discussion, I'm just interested in terms of when we talk about African liberation as an institution, people may want to know 
uh, more about why is that we place a great emphasis also around this question of the indigenous people, the Irish people. And maybe if we can go to some dialogue to talk about it as an institution and its principles. Because today I see, even though African Liberation Day is increasing, seeing that the content or the subject or the subject of the essence of what is African Liberation Day should be about, seeing like the enemy is trying to dilute it and change it. So can you just speak to that dynamic? Yes. Uh, again, we, we did an excellent job in building African Liberation Day. Our job was done so well that we today cannot control African Liberation Day. That is why the enemies of Africa is also organizing African Liberation Day. And we want to say very clearly that when we say the enemies of Africa, we are specifically talking about USAID and Africa. And African Liberation Day did for the struggling movements, the guerrillas on the continent fighting European colonialism in the 1970s and 1980s. But we must also say that we not only brought the Africans in to give a report on what and where their struggle was, but also we took very, very painful care to ensure that we always brought our landlords, the Native Americans, whose land we are on, whose land was stolen, and we as a people were stolen and brought to this land. So we have developed relationship with the American Indian movements and Indian nations across the United States who know the African community, especially because they came and spoke at African Liberation Day. We know that the Irish also came and spoke at African Liberation Day. Marcus Garvey told us that we should help to support even De Valera, who was the head of the Irish Liberation Movement in the 1920s. It was the Irish who first exposed the cruelty that Belgium and the Belgium king, King Leopold, was doing in the Congo, where they were cutting people's hands, people's legs, African people, because they would not produce enough rubber because Belgium taught that the Congo was their private backyard, just like the United States today think that the Caribbean, South, and Central America is their private backyard. 
And so it was an honor for us to always lift up and illustrate the struggle of the Irish and the Irish people always welcome and presented at African Liberation Day. Uh, I would like to say that today we have a population of African people who have basically been invisible through this decade, through this years, through the centuries, who live in South and Central America and the Caribbean. And that if you take this population, just the total population of the Africans in the Caribbean is larger than the population of Africans in the United States. The total population of Africans in Brazil are larger than the total population of the Africans Caribbean. And we can say clearly that there is no country in either South or Central America that does not have an African population. And once this African population become ideologically clear, once this African population become significantly conscious, then unity is right around the corner. Then it will be incumbent on the Africans in the United States to figure out how to link with, struggle with, how to unite with our brothers and sisters throughout the rest of this hemisphere. And so we were hoping tonight that we could get some reports, reports on this never-ending attempts at invasion of Haiti. Why do the United States, Canada, and the United Nations want to invade Haiti when, in fact, they are the creation, the creators of the problems that exist in Haiti today? It was the United States as one of the first countries who said that Haiti that overthrew a slave regime, Napoleon's ass, and created an independent state should not be recognized as a legitimate nation. The United States said that. It was France who thought that Haiti had to pay them reparation for the loss of their property. And by that, they they meant us, us. 
And so given the combination of these two problems and given the fact that the United States has invaded Haiti at least three times in this last century, and given the fact that the United States stole all the money that was in the Bank of Haiti and brought it and put it into the Rockefeller Bank in New York, there's no wonder that we have these problems in Haiti today and no U.S. invasion, Canada's invasion, United Nations invasion is no answer. It's no solution. So we are hoping that our brothers and sisters from Haiti will be on within the next, I guess, hour, Brother Lee, half an hour, to give us an update. A clear it should be on. Bill Boshi, matter of fact, we have one of our brothers from Haiti on now, Brother Kwaku Lamuma. He has just okay. joined us. If you want to go ahead and set the background for his introduction and he come to speak on the theme and the script of Haiti, you can go on right now. He's here. He has joined us. Who has joined us? Brother Kwaku Lamuma. Yes, and you said somebody else. No, he's 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 on right right now, and the second representative for Haiti should be on shortly in the next ten minutes. So if you want to join, right. go ahead and start discussion around the my, theme. My, man, my brother be... Koiku. brother Koiku, can yeah. you hear us? Yeah, my, I can. Brother, Loud and clear. You. Can you hear me? Thank you so much for joining us today. I know that. You've been busy, and the situation is very difficult and dire. But while some of us have some small ideas of what's happening, the majority of our people don't know. And all they hear is the propaganda from the U.S. side, this push for constant war. You know, America is always looking for the next war. So, my brother, without any further ado, we want to introduce you as a representative of CASA, the political organization in Haiti, and a political organizer and speaker and representative of the Haitian people. We bring you Brother Kweku Lumumba. Well, thank you very much. Um, first off, I want to just give some gratitude for the platform and inviting me to the platform to have this very important discussion on the occasion of African Liberation Day. Um, I, I'm honored to serve as external coordinator, external relations coordinator for the organization, which the acronym is COSA. Um, the full name is Combi Citoyen Socialiste, Soviet IET which in English roughly translates to socialist citizens working together to save Haiti. The importance of being able to do this on the eve of African Liberation Day is that in spite of Haiti's revolutionary history and importance for African people, um, it's, it's an irony of history that Haiti 
has had not for decades recognized or celebrated African Liberation Day. COSA is the organization that has introduced African Liberation Day as an annual commemoration and organizing memorial um, in, in Haiti for the past five years now. This will be the fifth annual. Um, and so we're glad to say that because before us, African Liberation Day as a celebration in Haiti was um, completely unknown. Um, we, we scoured the the communities across the country and African Liberation Day, like, no, we, we never heard of that. We never uh, celebrated that, in spite of the fact of celebrating many aspects of the liberation of African people in that country. So we're moving forward. Um, we understand that the struggle is ongoing, um, but if we are dedicated to our principles and we continue to organize, that victory is certain. Um, and so the challenges of the day are things that we know that we can overcome um, with brothers like you being able to use organizational platforms like this um, and make sure that our, our people are informed properly and properly organized to win the day. Uh, that being said, wanted to give some context for, you know, some things that we're dealing with today. If any of the listeners watch the news, the, well, the major corporate media outlets at least, periodically they'll see some major crisis in Haiti. Now, many people's most recent reference may be the assassination of the last president of Haiti, Jovenel Moïse. And before that, their, their reference may be the 2010 earthquake. And before that, perhaps the 2004 coup. And so you see there's, a, there's long periods of darkness when it comes to people's awareness of what's going on in Haiti. There may be a decade between crises that garner international attention. And so it's difficult for people to engage an issue when they're so disconnected from the continual narrative that gives birth to these crises. So I'd be remiss if I didn't give some context before jumping into some of the today issues that are being broadcast on international corporate media outlets. First off, I want to mention uh, the importance of Haiti in regard to Pan-Africanism and African liberation. Um, people may be familiar with the 1804 victory that resulted in the independence of the nation of Haiti and the abolition of slavery in Haiti and across many parts of the Americas. This is important, but it's also important to understand how this plays into the history of Pan-Africanism and the role of the African Revolution in Haiti in standardizing the victory model for Pan-Africanism even to today. When we look at IET, for example, we see even today in 2023 that the culture is predominantly African culture, that the people are predominantly African people. That is no mistake. That is no coincidence of history. Yes, African people were enslaved on the, the, the island of the landmass of IET. Yes. 
African people were the majority in the revolution of 1791 to 1804. And yes, African people continue to organize in that space. But we have to understand that these African people came from a variety of cultures in Africa. And there was an indigenous element to the island um, that standard historians will tell you they were erased by Columbus, Christopher Columbus and his crew. But that is not the case. But that's really a story for another day. But I do want to make that statement that there is an indigenous population in IET during the during the independence movement and struggle and even to today. I don't want to leave out the indigenous element in our liberation struggle. But when we look at the culture of IET, how is it significant in forming an idea, an ideal of Pan-Africanism? People know the term voodoo or voodoo in IET as a, a fixture within the culture. But what many people don't know beyond the ideas of zombies and spiritual possessions and magic and so forth, all the stereotypes and stigmas, is that voodoo represents Pan-African structure in a liberating space. There's a national or multinational structure. Brother Kweku, can I stop you for a second? And we're going to have to display our Pan-Africanism, mannerism. If we can have your cooperation, we have finally had a chance to get our African sister, Tashano for Colombia in. Um, I thought we had her and we were trying to bring her in. We must lost her. When she comes back, we would like to give them an opportunity to, to speak a few minutes because they're having difficulties of calling into the program for Colombia. But we have lost her, so anyway, I let you go back. And Brother Bamboshi, we also have other Haiti uh, representative, representative sister. Eugene Charles on as well. So we have both out Haitian representative on. But if we can get the sister back from Columbia, we'll ask everybody if we can, you know, be a little more um open to allowing our brothers and sisters of Columbia to come in since they have a very difficult time um calling in, okay? So Brother Lamumu, we thank you. You can continue your presentation. Okay. Thank you, no problem. And um, definitely have no problem accommodating our um, international comrades. Okay, she's back so, on. So, as I was saying. She's back on, Brother Lamu. Let me just bring in. Brother Bambosha, okay, you sure. can introduce us. Tasha, she's on now. Brother Lamumba, we're going to ask you to pick right up where you left off right now as soon as we hear the presentation from our sisters from Colombia. Okay. Hello. Sister Titiana, can you hear us? Yes, I can hear you. Can you guys hear me? We can hear you just fine, Sister. It's great hearing you. Oh, it's a pleasure to say hi to you. Um, Thank you for the invitation. Um, I'm so glad to be able to connect. I've been trying for the longest, but finally I got it too. Great. Great. Sister, while we have you, 
because we don't know how secure your connection is, and you might get cut off. Uh, yes. Could you, could you update us on what's happening in Colombia now and also what's happening with our sister vice president who I see is in Africa? Yes. Well, um, right at this moment, I'm at the Congress House. We finish up um, with the development um, plan that is going to be, you know, guiding us for the next three and a half years for government. Uh, we have a Afro Legal Commission in the Congress. We have 31 Congress men and ladies on this commission, and we um, we just finished, and it was really. Really, really, really great for all, all community because actually the we have a word here in Colombia that is called NARP Negros Afro Raizales y Palenqueros um, for first time in this you know government and for many years this word isn't you know in the constitution so we black have made a lot of achievement this year and we're so proud of it. And next week, we're going to be going all places around the Colombia, visiting other communities, and telling them all that we have been able to, you know, to make possible in the Constitution now for blacks in Colombia, which is great. And the Vice President has helped us a lot. She has been a great help for this achievement. Hello. <laughs> Yes, we're listening. Yeah. So next time see. you guys come to Colombia, next guys, next time, um, you're gonna be able to come to the Congress to see all that we have come through, all that we have achieved for all people. So, sister, could you, by any chance, speak a little, speak a little about Colombia's new relationship with Africa? Yeah, but right now, um, you know how they have to be like uh, uh, a procedure to follow, you know, what I have, what I understand, the vice president is going to present the project to the Congress, and we are definitely going to vote in favor. Hello? Yes. We're, we're still here, still listening. Titiana, are you still yeah. there? Yeah, I'm here. It's just the connection sometimes, you know, it goes away. Well, we happy uh, here in Colombia. How is time, the, I'm sorry, go ahead. See, the government plans, and it shows that we are present, and it's going to be a lot of investment for all the communities around Colombia. So that's great. That has been a work between the Congress, the Legal Afro Commission, and the Vice President. How is the situation now in Bonaventure? Well, the situation is a little difficult. Oh, we have in a lot of, it is hard to say, we have in a lot of, you know, fights between different illegal groups, um, probably 
three or three or four people dying every day, which is not good. But today at the conference, we actually did a manifestation and we hope that the president and the vice president are going to help us to take some actions on it. All right. All right. Yeah. It's not easy. We've been we've been we've been on a government that is totally like extreme right side. It's not easy. The changes are gonna be hard, but are gonna be made. Right on. Yeah. And when I went to it's gonna be it's gonna it's gonna be okay. We hope so. We're doing the job. We we would we would welcome an invitation to come back to Colombia. Oh, you're more than welcome. And this time you're gonna be coming to the Congress House. You're gonna be visiting the Afro Liberal Commission for the Congress. So it's gonna be much different. <laughs> uh, how is our sister Louisa and our brothers in? And sisters in the guards. Uh, Lisa is uh, back in Cali because she just have a surgery. Uh, she's been a little um, sick, but she's recovering really pretty good. So oh. we're gonna start doing so. We waiting for her to get better so we can start doing some work in the different areas. What is so positive about this is now, you know how in the in a country like Colombia, we have to follow, you know, all the rules that are, you know, designed by the central government. The central government has given us, like, the right to do things now. So we are so ready to do it. And we're going to be visiting all the areas and, you know, bringing all the development, you know, that they need. So we need Luisa to get better. <laughs> I do I do my legal part at the Congress. She does the uh, other part. Are you running for elected office in Colombia? No, well, right now I'm not running as yet. Uh, right now I'm in the coordination for the Legal Afro Commission for the Congress. I think in the next couple of months we're going to make the decision. And, and what are you going to for? Uh, Buenaventura, city mayor. You're going to run for mayor of Buenaventura? Yes. Congratulations. On that. What? Congratulations. A- any oh, way that you. we can help. Thank you, yes, thank you, thank know. you. Uh, we hope we hopefully be going on. I think when is um, we have an activity in the U.S. No, don't we? Uh huh. My sister. A couple of months, I think. Huh? My sister, can you talk about some of the leading Afro-Colonial political organizations and how are they lead the charge in changing fight the oppression? that they face on a daily basis in their communities. Say it again because I got I got a little a little disconnected, please. Say it again. 
Can you talk about some of the Afro-Colombian political organizations? What are they doing in Colombia as a nation fighting for their liberation? Well, we have here we have a, a, a big group that is called Consultiva. Uh, we have representatives for different cities and the different states. Um, what we first trying to do is, uh, we actually made it possible, was to um, make sure that the laws in Colombia, you know, are ruling in favor of our people. That's the first step that we take. It. Uh, we are probably like more than 32 um, representatives from different states, plus every city has a representative. And now we are fighting so we can get resources from the government so we can develop or make all these projects that we have for the people, like um, water, uh, roads, education, health, that we need to bring quality to our you know, different communities. But these organizations, La Consultiva and the Consulta Previa, which I don't know how to translate, it's so hard to translate in English, are working really hard. Um, they have the uh, improvement of the Legal Afro Commission right now. Like the biggest organization in Colombia right now that is working in favor of our people is the Afro Legal Commission. What's the total population of the Africans in Colombia? And how has the U.S. influenced the conditions in Colombia that's not favorable to the African communities? Oh, here in Colombia, we have about four million African, four four million, four point five million Africans in Colombia, right now. Which we're not a minority no more. We are a big population. And this congressmen and lady are representing these four point five million people. Uh, and how has the U.S. policies affected the Afro-Colombian communities? Say it again. How have the policies of the United States government impacted the Afro-Colombian communities? To be honest, we don't. We don't. We really don't. Um, don't feel the impact of the um, in the community. Because what we have been asking is for, um, you know, help. And we hopefully, with our vice president, who is, you know, doing a lot of, um, converse, having a lot of conversation with the U.S. government, hopefully we can get, and our ambassador in the U.S., we can, maybe we can get, you know, to get some help from the government in the U.S. But as it is, as it is right now, all the laws that are made in the States, that it comes when it comes to do with African people are not effective because pretty much all the laws that are coming to Colombia are like fighting drugs no more. Did Diana? All the work, all the work has been done for the Congress men and lady here in the Congress, you know, but now with the U.S. help. <laughs> Uh, Titiana, we yeah. also have online our brother 
Kwaku Lumumba, and our sister Eugenia Charles, both from Haiti. Do you oh, have nice anything you, you would phone. like to say to say to our brothers and sisters from Haiti? Well, yes, uh, we all one from Colombia to Haiti to U.S. to Ethiopia, everywhere in the world where we are, we need to get united and fight together. Colombia today is an example for many countries because oh, we have a commission, a legal Afro commission inside the Congress, and hopefully uh, all our nations where we are can do the same and start fighting for the rights in our countries. Um, anything that we can do from Colombia and you guys can do for us also, I hope we can get into that, you know, a change and get into future conversations so we can either visit or you guys visit us here on the Congress. Definitely. Sister Eugenia Charles, is there anything you'd like to say to our sister in Colombia? Greetings, everyone. Sister, I salute you in the name of our ancestors and all the work that you are doing to promote the cause of your community. And definitely, as a people, we need to work together to build our community for us to become a sustainable, rural people. Oh, thank you so much. Thank you. Well, right next to me is Cristobal Caicedo. He is our future president for the Legal Afro Commission in the Congress. He is a representative from Buenaventura. And he doesn't speak English, but he wants to say hi to you guys and gave you greetings for the Congress. Muy buenas noches. Eh, aquí trabajando fuertemente por la Comisión Afro, eh, la subcomisión, la cual soy el coordinador, para que en este cuatrenio que hemos empezado con el presidente Gustavo Pérez desde la vicepresidenta Francia Márquez, podamos sacar adelante todos los proyectos de los afros en Colombia. Well, he said that hello, and he's uh, saying hi from the Legal Action Commission, which is the coordinator from the commission that is the one that does all the projects for the afros in Colombia, and uh, we hope that everything goes right, that all the projects are on a paper for community can be done, and uh, welcome to Colombia, and he will be with you guys here. Thank you. Thank you so very much, my brother. Muchas gracias, hermano. Okay, esperando con mucha ansia muy pronto poder estar allá y compartir también con ustedes y también que ustedes puedan venir a Colombia y compartir con nosotros. He said he hopes that he can go also go and visit with all the commission, go visit you guys. You can share different experience, and uh, hopefully this year we can do it. All right. Brother Kwaku, you got changed that to your brothers and sisters in Colombia? Say it again. Almost definitely. Brother Kwaku. Yes, okay, most definitely. I just want to say, uh, can you hear me? Yes, we can. Yeah. Can you hear me? Yeah, most yeah. definitely. Just continue the fight. Um, glad that we're on the same team and look forward to all the success in Colombia um, for our brothers and sisters there. So, Viva Colombia, Viva la Liberación uh, Africana. 
Ok, ok. Thank you. Muchas gracias. Bendiciones. Thank you, blessings. <laughs> Thank you so mm -hmm. much. This has been so great. I'm going to be sending you all the information of all the things that we have achieved here in the Congress on favor of our people so you guys can be updated on it. And hopefully you guys get to visit us again and we get to visit you also and we can just build those bonds, rebuild those bonds that we have as Africans in everywhere in the world. Tatiana, before you leave, can you give us a sense of how aware are the Africans aware of the institution of African Liberation Day in Colombia? Well, I, I don't know if I understood the the, the question. <laughs> There's a little noise around here. <laughs> you got to repeat to me, please. Is the history or the institution of African, African Liberation Day, is this institution an institution that is very well known in Colombia among the Africans? If not, what do you think can be done to popularize African Liberation Day inside of Colombia? You know what? We have, here in Colombia, we have, a, we call it a African, um, it's like a day, but we don't have an African Liberation Day. Uh, I think we should work in a project here in the Congress that we can make like a constitutional um, day, yeah? That actually we can set it on, as we celebrating African roots May 31st here at the Congress. We have in a, a big, it's like a two, it's going to be, con, it's going to be Senate, House of Senate, House of Representatives together celebrating the African day, but we don't have a, African Liberation Day, so we must work on it, and we can do it. Yeah, like make making possible that it becomes like an institutional day in Colombia. Back to you, Boshi. Yeah, thank you, huh? thank you so, much. thank you so much, Tatiana. It's always a pleasure hearing you. And uh, definitely we will return to Colombia. I, I don't know if you can hold on while our brother Poiku finishes presentation on Haiti. And Sister Eugenia is also going to do a presentation on Haiti. Let me also yeah, I'm going to hold as long as I can. Yeah. Thank you. Thank you. I'll be here. Let, let me also just say here. that Africa Day is also celebrated as African Liberation Day. We know that in many countries in the Caribbean, instead of African Liberation Day, they celebrate Africa Day. And yeah. in all reality, the Organization of African Unity, back about... 10 or 15 years ago, changed the day from May 25th to June 16th because June 16th was the day that the youth rose up in South Africa in Azalea and was killed. And they also changed the name to Africa Day. So thank you. I want to bring back our brother Kwaku Lumumba. 
Thank you. you can, uh, Are we going to celebrate African Liberation Day next year in Colombia? I promise. Right on. <laughs> hey, Sam Bush, before we go to Brother Kweku, Sister Tariana, how can people get in contact, those who want to work with it, with the brothers and sisters in Colombia and the movements? How can they support it? How can they get in contact with you and the, and the various African organizations inside of Colombia? But um, that was a question for me. How can people get in contact with the movements and organizations that you work with that may want to support you and the movements inside of Colombia um, as relates to African people? I'm going to send you all the information from the commission, for the Afro Legal Commission. Um, so we can get in contact. Right now, I'm like, I like the legal, you know, um, I'm doing the legal part. Uh, uh, the representative who was just on the phone, Cristobal Caicedo, he's the president for the commission. So we got like this straight connection with him. And we can just, you know, start planning things and doing things. And he's so open to it. Thank you, my sister. Thank you. And, and we're going to bring back Brother Kweku Lumumba from Haiti, who has given us an explanation of how the situation in Haiti occurred, how it got to be where it was. Brother Kweku? Yes, thank you very much. And I'm glad that I was able to... Um, be here and listen to our sister from Colombia, and hopefully we'll be able to work together for the liberation of African people throughout the world and throughout our diaspora. Also, just salute to Sister Eugenia Charles, who was on the line. Um, you said it was on the line as well, so glad to, glad to be in good company. Um, where I left off um, within giving context, historical context, was discussing Vodou. Um, within the cultural context of African liberation and IEP. Um, many people who are interested in Haiti and the, and the revolution and the successes there in the past will ask, well, how can we use voodoo or voodoo, however they want to pronounce it, to liberate ourselves today? You know, how can we use it as a tool for liberation in our modern struggle? And, too often the, 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 the stigmas, the stereotypes that I mentioned, characterize or color the imaginations of our people, so much so that they're imagining that there's some magical wand that they can, they can wave that exists somewhere in IET, that only if they find it, they'll be able to wave this magical voodoo wand and find liberation. That's not what our ancestors did. That's not how they used the culture for success in political struggle. And I was mentioning that in Vodou, you find a multinational character that upends the tribalism that they so often attribute to African people as a divisive nature within us, which is not true. It's, it's, it's something that um, all human beings deal with to a 
degree. And Europeans probably the worst off in a historical concept, context. But within IET, we see a model of how it is that we've been able to embrace our respective cultures and nationalities, not erase them, but uphold them and work together to maintain so that we can be successful at whatever we do. Um, that, that is also a cultural aspect in IET called Kombit. And many organizations you'll see, you'll find many organizations in IET have the term Kombit in it, even my own that I represent. Uh, COSA, COMBIT, CITOYEN SOCIALISTS, IT. It's not simple enough or not sufficient enough for us to just say, oh, we're socialists. Uh, this is, you know, this is what we do. We're Haitian, whatever. But the COMBIT aspect of it is so important, and you'll find it in other African cultures and communities across the diaspora just using different terminology. And so you see that within Vodou and IT, a COMBIT of nations coming together to form something that can be utilized by anybody for success. And so when we see that in contrast to other places in the diaspora at the same period of time where there were failures in the rebellion or the revolution to liberate the people because people of different backgrounds did not trust one another, people of different backgrounds could not work with one another because of language barriers and so on and so forth. You know, even on this call today, we just um, did this last discussion. You see that there's a language barrier, Spanish versus English. That's a consequence of a colonial uh, narrative or colonial reality that we have to overcome, that our ancestors in IET overcame through Combit and created the language uh, Creole. And so this language which is a blending of African syntax and voca um, vocab and, and French and Spanish and Portuguese and all these different tools, linguistic tools, is something that we were able to manifest so that we can overcome divisions from colonization. And we did it successfully. We did the same thing with our culture of Vodou, maintaining and preserving, but also collaborating and combining so that we can uphold our history and still move forward and make history. And we did just that in 1804. So when, we, when the question is asked, how can we use Vodou or how can we use the, the tools of the past that allowed our ancestors to be successful against the colonizer, against colonialism, and against imperialism, that is a model, being able to come together and combine things and create new things so that we can be successful against new enemies, new threats, so on and so forth. Even the, the Haitian identity is representative of that as well, and it's reflective in uh, Tanzania, where the Tanzanian uh, um, socialist model, familyhood or uh, ujamaa, under Julius Nerere, was able to upend the tribalism that other nations were dealing with by using this socialist model under the title of Ujama. It's the same thing as Kombit, the same thing. And even to today, Tanzania doesn't have this issue that neighboring Kenya may have with its tribalism in politics embedded in it. 
And so we see a value in that, even to today, even though there's struggle and there's civil unrest and even civil war, according to some, in IET, it is not along the lines of tribal background. There are other political factors that go into why people are fighting each other and killing each other in IET, but it is not a tribal thing. So Haiti has, in its history, effectively erased that sort of tribalism um, that still plagues so many African communities around the world. And so it's a, that's a model, and it's, it's important for us to understand within the context of what we're dealing with today. But getting into what we're dealing with today, um, the aspiration of the common brother or sister in Haiti is to be Tankumun. You know, that's what you'll hear from the mouths of our brothers and sisters in Haiti, which simply means to live like a human being. No one's asking to be a billionaire. No one's asking to own the nation. No one's asking to be president. No one's asking to to be a general or, or lead an army. People just want to live like human beings, be able to feed themselves, provide for their families, have shelter, be safe, be secure, and be able to build toward something. And for too long in IET, we have had the situation in which many people have been deprived of these opportunities. And so our brothers and sisters move elsewhere. There's a massive diaspora of, of, of Haitian people across the Americas and across the world. I mean, it's been going on for generations, but we've seen it explode in this generation because of what has been going on. So what has been going on? Uh, the president of Dominican Republic has been the only head of state that I am aware of who has publicly said that there's a civil war going on in Haiti. But I have heard it from other people, just not head of state, um, even before it actually has gotten this bad. Brothers and sisters have said this is what is going to happen. This is the, tr the road that we're on in Haiti. And it's a plan put in place by other world powers. And so when we look at what's going on in IET, the so-called gangs, the proliferation of violence, the proliferation of weapons that are not manufactured in IET or in Africa or by Africans, the sale and, and spread of ammunition that once again is not manufactured in IET or in Africa or by Africans, this destabilization of the government, the assassination of a president, and no one really held accountable uh, to it, and no elections um, being had so that you can just have this de facto government where you don't have a single elected official in the nation just continue to move forward with no real plan. All of this is not the consequence of the average brother and sister in IET. This is a plan that has been put in place and has been going on for over a century now. We're looking all the way back to um, something that entitled the, the Haitian uh, U.S. Haiti um, Convention of 1915, when the U.S. Marines invaded the nation of Haiti and undermined the sovereignty of Haiti and 
installed the puppet president that signed certain agreements that gave the United States a certain degree of power over the military, over foreign affairs, over the economy of Haiti, and basically made Haiti a colony of the United States. Now, the United States doesn't like to say that it has colonies or creates colonies. It likes to say or fashion itself as a liberator of colonies from its American revolutionary days. But since the American revolutionary days, it has effectively gone on a colonial spree across what is considered the 50 states of the United States all the way to the last 50, its 50th state of Hawaii, the kingdom of Hawaii, um, to now the disputed territory of Puerto Rico, um, its former territory of the Philippines, its former uh, territory of Cuba, and its current um, secret colony of Haiti. So we have to understand that relationship. Um, before we can get into what is actually going on right now in Haiti, how it is that the Central Intelligence Agency of the United States has been complicit, implicit, and culpable in the drugs, in the weapons and ammunition that has been able to flow through Haiti to get to other places and into Haiti to create this instability and warfare, but not least. The seemingly benevolent programs coming from the federal government of the United States that will deplete and depopulate the workforce of a nation, um, namely IAT, but others, um, so that the destabilization program can continue. Um, that program I mentioned is, is popularly called in IAT the Biden program. Um, it is the program that the Joe Biden and Kamala Harris administration has put forward for four countries in the Western Hemisphere, that is, or most recently for these four countries. It's a probation program targeting Haiti, Cuba, Venezuela, and Nicaragua. Three of those countries, you may recall, were considered the troika of tyranny in the Western Hemisphere by the previous administration. Donald Trump's administration. And there are explicit programs of sanctioning and destabilization targeting those other three nations by not only the Trump administration, but previous Democratic administrations and the current Democratic administration from the United States of America. And so having Haiti included in that program um, says a lot about the United States' real intentions toward IET because this program is designed to open the floodgates for 350,000 people per month into the United States. Whereas before, if you had gone to IET and gone to the U.S. Embassy to try to get into the United States, you would have lines that we would have to go. You have to spend an entire day just dedicated to attempting to get a visa at the U.S. Embassy in IET to get to the United States. And it was probably about a 99% possibility that you would be denied and have to start that process over again, meaning that you would spend months in this application process, spending money and time that you don't have to apply and to get in and just keep trying over and over again. People have been doing this for years 
It's a money racket that the United States has been making off of Haitians who just want to get an opportunity to come to the United States. And so now to open the floodgates, you have people who are coming within a few weeks now into the United States, whereas before they had been trying for, for years to, to get to the United States. So what happens? What does that do to a nation that is under distress as IET is? Well, you have people who are fighting in the streets who now, young people, brothers and sisters who are, are teenagers and in their 20s, who have nothing, who well, thought they had nothing to lose and nothing to gain in IET. And so now they have this opportunity, oh, I can go to Miami. I can go to New York. I can go to Atlanta. I can go, I can go and I can do whatever I want to do in the United States. So I'm not going to fight anymore. I'm not going to go to school anymore. I'm not going to organize anymore. I'm just going to sit and wait for my sponsorship in the United States. And then when I get it, I'm out of here. This is a workforce drain. The economy, you can see this anywhere in the world. When the workers leave a space in mass, and not even a national exodus, we're talking about something that can happen and has happened in the United States for our U.S. listeners. Whether it's the Great Depression or the Great Recession or the Great Migration, whatever great movement you want to look at in history, when you have masses of people moving from one location into another location at one period of time, the place where they move from, the economy collapses. It may have been unstable before then, but it'll collapse. And you have places even in the wealthy United States of America today that where people left 100 years ago during the Great Depression, those areas still have not recovered economically to their pre-depression or pre-migration economy numbers. And so when you look at the plan for destabilization in Haiti, Cuba, Venezuela, and Nicaragua that the United States has been trying to enact and to some degree has been successful, then we have to be really concerned about what will happen if it is successful in migrating or immigrating 350,000 people per month from these four countries over the course of the next even year or so. What will happen to these economies? They will be completely dependent on foreign aid coming from the United States. And we know from history and from political study that any time the United States gives foreign aid to a country, it demand, it has strings attached. It demands certain amount of political control. So this will allow the United States, as I mentioned before, to colonize completely these four spaces. Cuba, get it back. Nicaragua and Venezuela and Haiti, which is, you know, these are hinge nations. Look at where they are on the map. It's a geopolitical issue, and it always has been. Haiti is a hinge, an African, uh, Afro-Caribbean hinge to the rest of the Caribbean. Cuba is a hinge. Venezuela is a, a South American hinge, and so is Nicaragua, a Central American hinge. It, it, if, if it colonizes these four spaces, then it basically controls the hinge nations for what it considers to be its backyard as part of its Monroe Doctrine. And so it's important for us to understand that all of the things that are happening in IET are not happening in a bubble. And if we are to pop that perceived bubble, 
then we must be internationally organized and connected. And so that's why we're grateful um, for this platform that connects us internationally, to be on the same panel with brothers and sisters from Colombia, from Haiti, from different parts of the African diaspora, so that we can be about the business of African liberation in the 21st century, understand what that looks like, and understand what it takes. So I just want to thank, uh, thank you for this platform and for the invitation once again, and look forward to continuing our forward struggle to African liberation and Pan-Africanism. Thank you. Thank, thank you so much, my brother. I don't know if you can bear with us for a while. There might be some questions, but we would like to hear Sister Eugenia, Eugenia Charles. Greetings, everyone. Again, it's a pleasure to be on the panel with such esteemed brothers and sisters. And I salute the brother for all the information that he has shared on Haiti. So I'll just be expanding a bit on the impact that um, the brain is having in the country. If we just look at the issue of migration, and its impact on Haiti. If we look at Canada right now, the Canadian system is solely built on the back of our Haitian professionals. And Haiti education is free from primary to university levels. So when you have a nation who spent money investing in individuals going to primary school, to high school, to universities, to become professionals, and years after becoming doctors, engineers, psychologists, for all of them to get a visa and travel elsewhere. Mind you, I'm not against people traveling to um, get a better glimpse of the country for pleasure or to expand their educational opportunities. But when all of that knowledge leaves the country, it does not leave behind a large pool to share what they have again and return back into the community. So our own educational system have lost a lot. We don't have the quality professors that we used to have in our school system any longer because many of them as travel to Canada and make their educational systems a better place. Many of them has traveled here to the US. And if we look at Brazil and Chile, in the past few years, there was a diplomatic decision that was made to open the door in Brazil around the time Brazil was preparing for the World Cup. They needed workers. So Haitians were allowed to travel to Brazil, and many of them were high school professors, middle school professors, university professors who left Haiti, traveled to Brazil or Chile to go work as construction workers. So for every good quality teachers you have who's been teaching for 25 years, for 30 years, you leave, it will take time before you can replace those professors. And nowadays, the young men and women we have were in their 30s, in their late 20s, were in their 40s, they too are being forced to leave Haiti for different reasons because they are in fear for their life as a result of the gangsterizations of the country, many have been hostage in their own homes. And the unemployment rates in Haiti is extremely high. So after spending 14 years, 20 years in school, these 30 years old, 20 years old are not able to find a job to provide for themselves 
all give back to their parents who invested everything in them. And I want to give you an example of a young man. He is he just turned 30 years old this past February. His name is Azor Carl Lebrun. He committed suicide on May 21st, 2023. He set himself ablaze right at the monuments, what we call Place Vertier. And that was the final place of the battle where we uh, whooped Napoleon's army and claims Haiti's independence. So you can imagine a young man who watched a de facto prime minister move Haitian Flag Day celebration from its original locations in Arcaille to Cap Haitian where members of the government basically handed out 500 good, 1,000 goods to people in a way to silence them from protesting their presence in the city. And that young man became so frustrated, so upset in seeing that, even though he had studied in the Dominican Republic, but he came back home, he wanted to live in his country. And everybody who knows folks from uh, Capetians, you know, if you are a Capois, you have a certain pride. And being Haitians, you have a certain pride. And, and having the stations where our ancestors spent about 14 years fighting um, to give us our independence, and even Desalin said that in his declarations of independence. During 14 years, he fight. He didn't have um, wealth. He didn't have family. The only things he had was our freedom. That's what he gave to us. And he asked us to protect that. We have not done that since his assassination. So for me, as a mother and as we approach Haitian Mother's Day this coming Sunday, watching young men and women leaving and with their parents having to sell whatever uh, cattle they have left or whatever piece of land they had left in order to provide uh resources for the young men or young women to be able to acquire a passport to leave the country. Not only it deprived the country of the intellectual capacity to rebuild, but it's also deprived the country of the economics aspect. Because when a parent sell a piece of land, that land is no longer available for them to cultivate. They have a cow, they sell the cow, that particular, that's a saving account that saving account is no longer available. So when we're looking at migration, there are different ways to look at it and how it's impacting the society on many levels. Mind you, a person who leaves Haiti, it will take them some months to get acquainted in the United States before they will be able to get a job and work and send some remittance back home. And we all know living here in the United States, the expenses are very different. Every month you have to pay rent, you've got car notes, you've got phone. So whatever little thing they will be making in, in this ground line, it will not be sufficient to send much back home to support their family or let alone for them to be able to have enough to purchase that piece of land back, to have enough to purchase that cow back for the family to have some kind of economic assistance to hold themselves together. So there are different ways that's impacted. And speaking of the Dominican Republic, the Dominican Republic has also been a ground that's been depriving of Haiti of many. We know that the U.S. has invested billions of dollars in the DR in protecting the DR in turning Haiti into what I'll call Palestine and saying that Haiti is, quote-unquote, a threat 
to the Dominican Republic or other countries in the Caribbean nations because of our insecurity. But I'll say if you go back into history, you'll see even in 2000, 2001, when the U.S. was sending M16 to the Dominican Republic and their soldiers to, quote-unquote, protect their border against Haitians who are very peaceful people. If you look at the number of Haitians who've been expelled by the Dominican government, Children who were born in the DR who are 30 years old who are nationless. They don't have birth certificates because they are born of Haitian parents. The level of discrimination. Um, Haitians who are being expelled from the DR who leave behind everything they possess. And Haitians are being beaten, being thrown out. They are being packed into buses and just dropped at the border to go home. They are not allowed to go back in there to retrieve their belongings. At the same time, the involvement of the Dominican government in maintaining that insecurity in Haiti. I know Abinadel has been doing a campaign to try to get multinational forces to come in Haiti to help resolve the issue, but Abinadel and his government is also coons and friends of the Matelite Azteca political party. They were good friends of Bijo, one of those uh, MREs, um, what I would call morally repugnant elites in Haiti, who controls our ports, who monopolize our political systems, who are paying uh, corrupt politicians to keep the country in the state of mind where it is. And through the Petro-Caribe funds, it is a program that Chavez has established for Haiti for us to get assistance from them. They give us uh, petrol, and then we were supposed to repay them in goods and at a lower interest rate. That entire fund has been embezzled by the Martelly, Lamotte, Jovenel Moïse, and Preval government. So that money is no longer available to us. And if you go to the Dominican Republic, you will find many hotels that have been built, many businesses that have been created in the Dominican Republic by co-optation politicians. So the Dominican Republic has benefited in many ways by having that insecurity in Haiti. Also, if you look at the DR, many of the coup d'etats that we have in 2004, that coup d'etat was manifested. All of the training took place in the DR by members of the International Republican Institute. Uh, unfortunately, a Haitian brother named Sandy Lucas helped organize many of those meetings. And to this day, many things that are supposed to be taking place in Haiti are being organized in the DR because, quote-unquote, the DR is safer. So I look at Haiti as a place where they said the poorest nation in the Western Hemisphere. We are a country that has been made poor to benefit the greed of the capitalist world. Um, Haiti may have been freed by our ancestors in 1804, but since the assassinations of our um, founding father, Jean-Jacques Dessalines, we have lost our foothold. We have not been able to do strategic planning to look at short-term, medium, and long-term planning for our nations. We've been in a constant struggle, and the leaderships who've taken over Haiti since the assassination of Dessalines, they have not been in the business of making Haiti for Haitians. They are nothing but breeding another type of slaves. So we may be free in a way that we don't have shackles in our feet, but the education that we are receiving are education that train us to remain slaves. They are not education that train us to be entrepreneurs, to be independent people. Even though the Haitian people are resilient people, I recognize that in myself and my every other Haitian brothers and sisters, 
But when we're looking at an education system, every reference is to the United States, every reference is to French, every reference is to Canada. There's not a reference to Haiti and how Haiti is going to become great. When you talk to our university students, they're looking to get the next visa to go to the U.S., to Canada, and French. So we have to begin looking at ourselves in a different approach and looking at how, as a Pan-African community, as you know, African people living outside of the motherland, how can we use our resources to rebuild ourselves? How can we invest in our people so we can become a self-sustainable nation where our people do not have to no longer continually enslave in other nations? Because when you come here, you are working, you're making a life, but Believe me, in many ways, shape, or form, if you look at it, you've come here to work, 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 work. It is not the same lifestyle as you have if you were in your own homeland. You don't have the same freedom. You don't have the same liberty. So many Haitians will leave Haiti thinking, well, I'm chasing a better life. But then a few months out of Haiti, they start getting homesick because home is home, no matter how challenging the situation is. And unfortunately, for many of our educated Haitians, they rather align themselves with institutions like USAID or other institutions from French or European Union or European Commissions or other institutions from Canada to um, in collaborations in conjunction with these nations to help maintain the status quo. I am one who support the liberations of Haiti in going back to the um, plan that Dessalines had established for us through the 1805 constitutions, which define what a Haitian is. Nowadays, when you talk to Haiti's, Haitians, they will tell you, oh, we are having an identity crisis. We are not having an identity crisis. We've, uh, we already have a plan that defines what a Haitian is supposed to be. Every Haitian is supposed to have a profession. Every Haitian is supposed to see themselves as brothers and sisters. They're supposed to be good fathers, good husbands, good soldiers. Haitians are not supposed to steal, and they're not supposed to um, become traitors against their nation. So as we look at as Haitians right now who are like the current de facto prime minister, we have an office who are nothing but puppet governments who execute the mandates of the international community, not working for the liberations of our people. So we have a lot of work to do. And looking at the uh, voodoo itself, voodoo is a way of life. So it is not just a religion. It is a spirituality. So we, our ancestors were able to utilize that because we understand by being a voodoo you only use what you need to survive. You're not supposed to deprive other people. We do not discriminate against other religions, even though many other religions in the country may seem that, okay, because you practice voodoo, you are the devils or the country. I know many other pastors here in this nation have said Haiti is cursed because of a ceremony, um, which was a strategic political planning to make a one decisive decision. Are we going to be a free nation to make sure that our children to come do not stay in bondage? Or will we die as slaves? And the decision was to die but leave a free nation to those of us that we have not upheld. So I think in diaspora, in the community as black people, we need to look at, at rebuilding ourselves. We need to invest in ourselves. We need to support 
one another. The divisions that is separating us, we need to find a way to heal some of the traumas, heal some of the wounds, to bridge ourselves, to create that nation. And looking at Haiti, knowing that the United States um, recently passed this Fragility Act and created a 10-year plan for Haiti, that's another form of occupation. So if you are a nation, you're supposed to be friends of a country. How do you create a 10-year plan? So what, Haiti is another protectorate of the U.S.? I don't know, maybe some of you have the answers to that. But if you are deciding who becomes a president, who becomes prime minister, how the election gets decided, that means we are independent, but not truly independent. So for Haiti to hold, get its foothold, to become that pearl of the Antilles, to honor our ancestors, we Haitians have a lot of work to do to reshape ourselves, to maybe go through some cleansing process to detach ourselves from this imperial system, from the neocon system, to go back into the uh, core values that the ancestors had left for us to, um, to follow. I don't know if you have any questions for me. Oh, sister, Master. thank you for that great presentation. Uh, this is what we're talking about when we talk about African Liberation Day, that we must hear from the people who are involved in the struggles on the ground. That's how African Liberation Day originated. That's how African Liberation Day built its tradition, and thanks to you today, that's how African Liberation Day continues. We see African Liberation Day as part and parcel of getting information from our brothers and sisters who are struggling on the ground so that we can begin to see how we can partake in these struggles, how we can support these struggles, how we can become a part of these struggles, and we must become a part of these struggles because it's our struggle. It's us. So, my sister, thank you very much. Let's see if we can open the floor for some questions. I think Brother Lee may have already had some questions. Brother? Okay. What we're going to do right now before we go to any questions, let's take a quick station break. And when we come back, for anyone who's listening to the program who may have any questions or comments as relates to what we've been discussing, our theme tonight is Pan-Africanism and the National Question in Jasper. You've been listening to Sister Eugenia Shaz and Brother Kwekulanumumu out of Haiti and earlier Sister Tatiana out of Colombia discussing their realities as African people in that nation. We will open up to questions and comments when we come back. You can call 323-679-0841, hit 1, and we will acknowledge your last four numbers. We are celebrating 65 years of African Liberation Day and 75 years of Palestine and Nakba Day. We'll be right back, and the lines will be open for any questions or comments. This is... Africa on the move. 
white faces 
crucifying Jesus again and again. But in the sacrifice of this blood, of this dance with death, comes life more rich, more pure, more alive, where death spent many lonely nights pacing the floors of his funeral parlor, waiting for someone to die. Pellerino, a French word called the place of torture, became a place of strength, a place where faces white saints became faces of black gods, where haunted visions and demons became healing visionaries and orishas from the motherland. And Jesus rejoined his kinfolk and was reborn and baptized in the sound of sensual skin turned up to dance, to inspire a fire like the sun pronouncing his presence. Pellerino was the tongue of the flame, licking the eyes of those who have tried to remain blind, shining a light on a spirit that would not be denied. No, the chains did not break the spirit, did not enslave the music of my soul, did not shackle the will of my freedom, did not tarnish the glow of my gold, and all the Pellerinos in Africa, in Europe, in North and South America cannot destroy the majesty of my people, the love of my people, shining like the sun everywhere we go, everywhere we go. When the light is clear, oh, how beautiful I will be. And made it through my journey, yeah. Yeah, 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 yeah. to welcome you back to Africa on the Moon, commemorating 65 years of African Liberation Day and 75 years of Palestine and Knockback Day. We have a discussion around the theme, Pan-Africanism and the National Question. With us, we have two representatives from Haiti, Brother Kweko, Kweku and Sister Regina. They share their perspectives as relates to the African people in Haiti and its relationship to African people in Africa around the world. Right now, if you have any comments or questions, we ask you to please dial in at 323-679-0841. Please hit 1, and we will acknowledge your question or comments by calling out your last four numbers. I'm Brother Africa. I'm the host for Africa on the Move, and the facilitator for this program is Brother Bamboshi, so we're turning back to Bamboshi. And when someone comes up on the board who may have a question or comment, I will let you know, Brother Bamboshi. We have a lot of people on the board, but I think you're more interested in hearing information. So let's continue the flow of information. Brother Bamboshi. Yes. Uh, I don't know our sister from Colombia is still on. Are you still on, Titiana? Uh-huh. She no longer on. She had to leave, Brother Bamboshi. Okay. Uh, well, let's continue, especially the discussion on Haiti. This is such an excellent discussion. I hope that it is taped 
so it can be heard even after this program is over. Uh, my brother Kwaku or sister Eugenia, I don't know if either one of you have heard that there was a group in Haiti a couple of years ago that was uh, distributing literature, and the name of the group was the Dessaline Liberation Front. Have you heard of that group, and do you know what's their status? Definitely um, have not heard of the Saline Liberation Front. I mean, I know there is um, the platform Picket de Saline, um, and then there's the political party, uh, Parti Politique Picket de Saline, that subscribe to the ideologies of the founding father, but the institution that you mentioned that I have not heard of it. I, I'm not saying it doesn't exist, but I have not run a course of it personally. I don't know for uh, Brother Quaker. Yeah, thanks. I I briefly was aware of um, some pamphleting that was happening, um, I, but I did not hear of um, from any comrades or see of um, any other efforts that were happening. So while I was aware of the pamphleting that you, that you mentioned, um, the organization is unfamiliar to, to us as well, just because we haven't seen any uh, anything else going on. Like, and like Sister Eugenia said, uh, that doesn't mean that nothing is going on or uh, that the organization is not having a, a broader impact than just the information that's passed out, um, but we just, we're unfamiliar. Thank you, brother. Do you, do you know what is the status currently of the Lavalas party? Is that for um, Brother Kweku or for I? For either one. Go ahead, Brother Kweku. Well, sister, I, I'll always concede to the uh, to the lady in the room. Uh, <laughs> I, I'll answer it, but I'll definitely go after it. <laughs> um, the Lavalas party, I mean, the Lavalas it was a movement. Lavalas itself wasn't a party. Lavalas was the term Cohen doing the uh, campaign for the first democratically elected um, election during the time when um, former President Jean-Bertrand Aristide was running for office. That was back in the 1990s. We had our first democratic election on December 16, 1990. So the term Lavalas was more like, you know, when you have a flood, anything that is bad, and then they clear up, and then after that you have a clear area. So that was the term mean. So after President Aristide got elected and uh, came into office, after, you know, he was good on September 38th, um, and then he spent about three years or so and a half in exile here in the United States, went back in 94, 
So upon his return, he had then formed a new political party called Famila Valas. So if you're speaking of the party Famila Valas, Famila Valas is still in existence. They are not currently holding um, any major office in terms of the government. So many people who were part of the Famila Valas party have left and formed their own party. But Famila Valas is still standing. President Jean-Bertrand Aristide was returned back into Haiti after the second coup. He's mainly focusing now on education through the Aristide Foundation, where they have a university that is providing a lot of degrees. They have a medical school. It's a law school. It's an agronomy school, and they offer many other divisions in the school. So that's where his area of focus in. So the party is still very much involved in the different political debate. Um, but they are not the party elected in office because to this day, the international community, mainly the U.S., um, the French, and the Canadian governments, they are not in support of having uh, Formula Valas back in power because, as you know, they consider that party as a populist party. And then with the way the election went with one man, one vote, that was like 67% of the vote, and the U.S government believe in a selectocracy process of democracy where the people vote, but then the electoral college descends, decide who is going to be president. So even though the population may go out and vote in Haiti, folks from the State Department, the U.S. Embassy in Haiti, the um, uh, election folks from like IFAS, from the IRI, NED, from different institutions in Canada, from UNDP, in, uh, from the UN, those are the institutions who comes together and decide who's going to become the next presidents or senators or deputies in Haiti. I hope that answered your question. Oh, definitely. Definitely. And... It probably leads to the next question of are the people of Haiti prepared to defend themselves from the threatened invasion by the United States, Canada, and the UN? I'll follow up um, with uh, just a continuation of uh, the great answer that was given in regard to the previous question about Lamana. Um, and I, I, I mentioned, I alluded to this when I began uh, before the sister from Colombia was able to rejoin about how it is that in the diaspora outside of Haiti, there are just pockets of information once every five years or you know, once a decade in regard to a crisis or some major phenomenon in IT that prevents the average observer from being able to follow any sort of coherent narrative. And so that's why when when people ask things about um, IET, what they're asking um, typically is divorced from the reality from the brothers and sisters on the ground. Uh, La um, as the sister, as sister mentioned, um, was a movement in the same way that the civil rights movement was a movement in a period of time. Um, and in that movement, there were organizations that were birthed that 
still exist today or um, some don't. But we're always, as a people, um, going through different movements, and we create movements or energy, um, create space for movements that address the issues of the time, and in that space, then we're able to create organizations that better um, help us manage the issues that we're dealing with in that period. Um, and so in this period, um, to this, the question you just asked, we are dealing with the crisis of uh, warfare, where we have these weapons that have been flooded into the nation of IET, which before this period was one of the most peaceful nations in the Americas, um, as far as violent crime is concerned. And now, due to you know, these weapons, it is one of the most violent and unstable um, locations where you have gunshots every night and threats of kidnapping, um, threats of assassination, so on and so forth. Um, that, in and of itself, is um, worse than what happened before with the UN occupation, the minister of occup occupation, and the threat of the uh, France or the United States coming in because when what we're dealing with right now is, you know, brothers and sisters fighting each other. And it's difficult to win a war when you're fighting family because, of course, there, there are many other things tied into that because even when the war is over, is it really over? You know, you have reconciliation to do. Haiti didn't have to reconcile with France after beating Napoleon. That wasn't family. That wasn't a family matter. Once we won, we won. And we we were able to move forward with a new program and a new plan for ourselves. And then France had to lick its wounds and come up with a new program for itself in relation to Haiti. So if we had to fight France, if we had to fight Canada, if we had to fight the United States, that would be something that would galvanize, potentially, um, the nation. But what we're dealing with right now is divisive, and it's difficult. And so I, I know the threat is there, but because of the plan that we're aware of from these nations, I don't think uh, that they're going to do it because this is much more successful. The Civil War plan is much more successful than an invasion plan. So that's why we see a Trump administration or a Nikki Haley um, under the Trump administration advance the ending of the occupation of the UN to open the door for the Biden administration to foment the civil war of NIET. And now they can do what they need to do with their, like, like um, Trista said, the 10 year plan. Okay, after we've completely destabilized Haiti, what will we do? Um, so while the people would be ready to fight, um, as, as Haitians must do and as African people are willing to do anywhere in the world, I don't see that as a, a plan that will come to fruition. I think we have to figure out how we can stop fighting each other and to reconcile with each other so that we can build together. Brother Bam Boshi, we have about 15 minutes, and then we have to bring the program to a closing. No, thank you, brother. Uh, following up with 
what Brother Kwaku just said. Uh, the select countries have declared the Caribbean a zone of peace. And while that basically is a warning to folks who take the Caribbean and South and Central America as their backyard, does that have any effect internally to the countries of the Caribbean, especially to Haiti? Um, Haiti, as you know, is the friend of many of these countries in the SILA movement. So in terms of yes and no, and Haiti is mainly military-wise, is under the control of the United States. And I'm sure if you've been following the news, the U.S. have been pushing for multinational forces to come into Haiti um, to help protect their powers and their quote-unquote resources. So they, for instance, they had um, talked with the current de facto prime minister to the point where he himself wrote a letter asking the international community, quote-unquote, to provide forces to help uh, tame down the gang violence in the country. But everybody who knows and understands things quietly know that was a hoax because whatever Mr. Uh, Aziel Henry does, he does at the mercy of the um, U.S. Embassy. So the other countries, if the current de facto prime minister truly needed to have peace in Haiti and deal with the gangs, he could have gone and all he had to do was draft a letter and address it directly to that institution. And countries who are friends of Haiti from that institution would have been able to provide assistance. But the letter that he sent was not to them because he knew he had to come to his boss first and his boss is the U.S. government. So it is at the hand of the U.S. government to now go around. And as, as we know, the U.S. is already involved in Ukraine. They don't want to send soldiers to Haiti. And it's been said in certain corridors that they don't want to send their uh, men to go die at the hands of the N-words in, in, in the country. We all know what that means. And also the weapons that are currently in Haiti, they know the magnitude. These are militarized weapons. These are not small. MK-47, M-16, these young men have weapons. And about 95% of the weapons are purchased from here in D.C., in uh, Vermont, in Florida, and some other states. There was a report that was put out not too long ago by UNDOC, is an institution right here in, in D.C. associated with the United Nations showing the trails of weapons and where they ship. So the weapons are coming from the United States going to the port in Haiti. So if the U.S. wanted to help Haitians to have peace, first thing they have is limit the flow of weapons that is coming from their shores entering into Haiti. So Haiti has become gangsterized and ghettoized, we can say, because if you look at our black community here, the way drugs infested communities and the way guns um, flow to the communities where young men are killing each other over nonsense, it's the same thing that has happened in Haiti. The exception is that 
We have our crooked politicians who are in the pockets of the international community who utilize those young men as well to um, terrorize the population, to deprive them economically. And you must also understand every pocket of gang, gang you see in Haiti, there is some type of natural resources in the area where they are. So if you look at the map, the gangs who are in Village de Dieu, in Cité Soleil, those right there are petroleum spots. If you move over to the area of Katsamaozo in Kwadebuke, those are other natural resources that are sitting there. So if you look at what has happened in Africa with natural resources, a lot of these folks, they support the gangsterization. They support the weaponization because that makes it easy for them to claim those communities as so-called humanitarian communities to get access to the resources and remove it from the hands of the government. The Haitian people are ready to fight. They simply need the proper guidance. But in order for them to fight also, we need to reduce the number of weapons that is in the country. Thank you, sister. And my brother, Kwaku, thank you, my brother. You have done what most folks hope they could do. You have made it plain. Uh, tonight, as we celebrate this month-long celebration of African Liberation Day, we encourage everybody we encourage everybody to get out a piece of paper in a few minutes. Brother Africa is going to ask Sister Eugenia and Brother Kwaku to give some contact information so that you, the listener, will know how to contact them directly and how to become involved. We can no longer just sit by. We cannot wait for somebody else. If it's not us, then who? Evil tribes because refuse to act. Again, we thank you very much, and we encourage you to continue the celebration of African Liberation Day. We continue to do your research and see how African Liberation Day has impacted the struggle against colonialism in Africa, the liberation of some of the last vestige of colonialism, settler colonialism, racist colonialism in Zimbabwe, in South Africa, in Namibia, in the Portuguese colonies, we beg you to see that this struggle is not over, that this struggle is heating up, that our enemy is with his back to the wall, and he's at his most vicious. Continue the struggle. Again, thank you, Sister Eugenia and Brother Koiku. We appreciate you, and we understand that you know that anything that we can do 
You just call us. Thank you. Brother, Brother Africa, the mic is yours. Yes, we'd like to make a couple announcements, and then we'll ask our remaining guests to give out their contact information on how people can contact and participate with them and the people. First and foremost, for the remainder of this week, after going to move, we'll, be, we'll host various programs under the direction and the banner of the All African Peoples Revolutionary Party GC, the AAPRP GC. Our next event will take place on Saturday, May the 27th from 11 to 2 a.m., African Liberation Day. So please put that on your calendar and join us as we have various liberation movements and political parties giving us update on their particular movement and what's going on in their country. As you know, after Saturday on Sunday, there's a very important case that is going on. That is the incarceration of our brother Alex Saab. We will have a special guest talking about that case and its impact on the world. We invite you to come and join us on Sunday from 7 p.m. to 9 p.m. That's on the 28th as relates to the case of Alex Saab. And so question for international law. Please join us from 7 to 9 p.m. And closing out the month, we will have an interview with Brother Bob Brown and P.A. Roots as we talk about this whole question of slave, the slave, slave trade and slave trafficking. Uh, this brother has done a lot of work in this area. Uh, information that is definitely important for our people to have and you know. So make sure you put that on your calendar to join us on Wednesday the 31st for 8 to 10 p.m. here on Africa on the Moon. Like always, on every Sunday, you can hear Africa on the Moon from 7 to 9 p.m., same time, same station. We encourage you to join us. And at this point in time, what I would do is stop and I would ask Brother Kweku and Sister Eugenia if y'all would share some information on how can they get in contact you with you how can they support the Haitian movement, et cetera. So the mic is yours. We'll start with Sister Gina. Thank you very much for having me, and it's good to hear from you again, Baba Bamboshi, and I thank all the other panelists who were on, uh, especially Brother Kweku. It's a, it's a pleasure. I am on WPFW 89.3 FM every Wednesday at 7 p.m., and my program is called Combi Plakai. People can reach out to me via email. It's K-O-N-B-I-T-L-A-K-A-Y-D-C at gmail.com. And my number is 301-537-816. If you call, leave a message and a text, I will get back. You again, thank you. Let's keep the fight going, let's keep the struggle going. A people united is never defeated, and only us can claim our independence. No one is gonna give it to us. Thank you, my sister, brother Kweku. Thank you, and um, I, I definitely reflect back the gratitude and appreciation for being on this program, all the other speakers and presenters on this panel, especially uh, Sister Eugenia Charles. 
look forward to continuing to build with you and building with this radio program. Um, so contact our organization, which I serve as the international coordinator for, which is COSA, from Beaches Lions Social Media. If you're interested, the external relations office number is 864-863-0305. Once again, that number is 864-863-0305. The website is COSA.com. That is K-O-S-S-S-A dot com. That's three S's in that. K-O-S-S-S-A dot com. And if you are interested, you can go to the website, reach us there, and send a message, an email, or a chat, or call us directly through the website. So we look forward to organizing with you, building with you. If you're interested in any aspect of African Liberation Day or um, Haitian organizing and struggle in IEP and elsewhere. We're ready and willing to receive you and to build with you. Thank you, my brother. Bamboshi, any final words from you and the APIPGC? Could you please give your audience a website and contact information? Yes, we can. For all those who would like to plan out upcoming activities and information and more about the AAPIPGC, we encourage you to please visit our website at www.a-apirp-gc.org. Let me call it back again, wwwa a PRP-GC.org. Please check out the website. They have some beautiful events coming up, and they have done some beautiful tribute posters that we'd like to share with you by going to their website as it relates to a tribute to Michael Max, Ho Chi Minh, uh, the honored Brother Kwame Ture, Secretary, and Kwame Nkuma. And they have a beautiful display in articulation to the love of mothers, how mothers are so special, mothers of the world, mothers of the movement. Check out their website. But more important, check out the AAPIPGC. Help join them, help build them, help support them. Because we know through organization, all things are possible. So on that note, we look forward to seeing you on Saturday from 11 to 2 o'clock. We are the hosts and working with the All African Peoples Representative Party GC as well as Pan-African Roots. And we thank you for tuning in and allowing us to come to your home this evening where they, can, where they spoke truth to the powerful and the powerless. But more importantly, they are continuing to uphold this great institution of African Liberation Day and Palestine Day. Until next time, we will go forward album, backwards novel, and we're going to leave you with a little, little music, music of liberation. We thank you. This is a continuation of African Liberation Day month. Until next time, we see you Saturday on the 27th at 11 a.m. This is Brother Africa signing out. And let
I go through a lot of things reminiscing on the past. All the things that we did and said. Mama, I miss you. Mama, I miss you. Just know everything, mama, I'm thinking about you. Mama, I miss you. Mama, I miss you. Just know everything, mama, I'm thinking about you. Mama, I miss you. Mama, I miss you. Just know everything, mama, I'm thinking about you. Mama, I miss you. been cloudy but i pray for sunny days i give anything back to see your pretty face in the morning i think about it i just get in a darker place i can see you smiling that's the part that's killing me i remember all the sweet things you used to say to me i remember the last words that you said to me you told me that you love me you'll always stay strong i don't want to call when you picking up your phone i don't want to call when you picking up your phone i don't want to call when you picking up your
Africa is where 